It was my best friend I couldn't forgive. She who became the object of my enmity. How could she have done it? How could this seemingly decent, although self-absorbed human being, have done this dirty, rotten thing to me? As I staggered out of the bedroom that day, my mind ran a little black-and-white montage of the highlights of our friendship, sort of a quickie golden oldies reel. There we were as ten-year-olds, comparing the haircuts our mothers made us get for summer camp. There we were as thirteen-year-olds, discussing braces and pimples and whether tongue-kissing a boy was great or gross. There we were at sixteen-year-olds, comforting each other over our mutual failure to pass our driving test the first time around. There we were as eighteen-year-olds, graduating from high school and promising to stay friends, even though our colleges were three thousand miles apart. We did stay friends through our twenties, although not with the same intensity. As we moved into adulthood, we got jobs, made new friends, and discovered we didn't have as much in common as we did when we were kids. But we continued to get together on a regular basis because, no matter what, we shared a history. You can't just write off the person who taught you how to inhale cigarette smoke up your nose, after all. And so, while there were other women I saw more often, it was she whom I'd considered my best friend, she whom I'd asked to be my maid of honor at my wedding, she whom I'd trusted above all others. It was she whose betrayal sent me careening into therapy, which I paid for by selling my diamond engagement ring. For three years, I spent Tuesdays at noon on the cracked leather sofa of Marianne Etlinger, a Manhattan psychologist who is not of the old school, where the shrink just sits there and nods, but of the new school, where the shrink tells you so much about her own problems that you're tempted to remind her it's your dime. Her chattiness aside, Marianne is wise and smart and extremely compassionate. She helped me conquer my demons. She helped me let go of my feelings of rage. She helped me understand that there had always lurked a pattern in my relationship with my best friend, a pattern of my giving and her taking, but that I couldn't get on with my life unless I abandoned my obsession with exacting revenge. I pledged that I would do just that, stop obsessing about paying my best friend back, even after I'd heard from various high school classmates that she and Stuart had gotten married and moved into an enormous tutor in Mamaronek on the water, with a guesthouse, and a pool and a cabana. Talk about hard to stomach. Part of me still wanted her to suffer, not prosper. But Marianne and I worked on that. Focus on you, Amy, on what you want out of life, not on how your life compares to hers, she said, during a break in her anecdote about her ongoing rivalry with her sister. It doesn't matter how she and Stuart are faring. What matters is how you're faring and whether you feel centered. Marianne was big on the notion of feeling centered. When I left her office after our final session, I did feel centered, but only temporarily. What happened to throw me off center was this. On a prematurely warm Saturday afternoon in April, the very weekend after I'd ended my therapy, I ran into my best friend. I hadn't seen her in nearly four years, not since the day she was straddling Stuart. And I was undone, absolutely caught off guard. For one thing, Marianne and I hadn't rehearsed what I would do or say if such an occasion arose. For another, my hair was filthy. Since I'd just come from a strenuous workout at the gym, I wasn't wearing makeup, 
and I was in mid-bite of the bagel and cream cheese I'd picked up at Starbucks, the cream cheese no doubt smeared across my front teeth. And so, when my best friend approached me, looking incredible, perfect clothes, perfect jewelry, perfect everything, there was good news and bad news about my behavior. The good news was that, thanks to my therapy, I did not feel the urge to slap her across the face or hit her over the head with my backpack or stomp on her $500 Jimmy Choo shoes, nor was I moved to give her the silent treatment or hurl obscenities at her. The bad news was that, although physical and verbal abuse were out of the question, I felt compelled to do something to her. I'm embarrassed about what I did, sure, but it felt right at the time. Well, not right, of course, but satisfying, like an itch that got scratched. Amy, how are you? My best friend said in that way people say it when what they mean is, how do you mean?